You're listening to WERA 96.7 FM, and this is Media on the Radio. Media on the Radio features stories from media professionals, everyone from journalists to filmmakers to marketing experts, to try and give an entree into the entire media field. This episode continues our series on The Lookout DC, which is a collaborative co-working space for mostly filmmakers and video production professionals. Today, we're talking to Lauren Knapp, who is a documentary filmmaker, but also teaches classes at Georgetown University. So I studied in college, I studied anthropology. And I, after I graduated, I went to China for a year to teach English. And I was only teaching a couple days a week. So I had a fair amount of free time and met uh, an expat, an American who was living in China, who was the host of a um, television show. And I'd been like super interested in media. And so I asked him if I could just volunteer and I ended up editing and producing for this. It was an English language um, show on a Chinese education network. And the whole idea was like a talk show and they would have vocab words and they'd have like intercultural dialogue and stuff. Um, but it was sort of my first taste and I was really excited by like the, just the whole process and the idea of creating something out of nothing. And um, I was also like pretty addicted to this American life at the time. It was my lifeline back to the U.S. So I was listening to a lot of that, um, riding on the buses around China and uh, came back to the States and wanted to just knew I wanted to get into some sort of production. Cool. So did you go to school for it or did you kind of just jump in at that point? So at that point, yeah, at that point, actually, I got some really good advice from somebody. I was just, you know, hitting up anybody I could to try and get an internship. And he he was just like, you just just do it. Just start volunteer at your local community radio station or whatever it is and just start making stuff and then things will fall into place. So that's what I did. I just got a job um, waitressing and then uh, started volunteering and writing news pieces for the local community radio station, KFAI. It's a great station. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Um, I've, I've gotten into radio and podcasting, as, as obviously, um, recently. And that was uh, because at my previous job, they opened a local radio station in Arlington. And there's there's this guy, this guru, Jim Block, who um, built the studio acoustically anyway. He didn't physically build it, build it but he designed it and... And just like I got this crash course from this audio master, <laughs> and it, not saying I'm I'm a master by any stretch, but it, it just having done docu- a lot of documentary and a lot of video for the last ten years, just kind of seamlessly editing audio without having to worry about the picture was pretty rewarding. <laughs> yeah, it goes so much faster. <laughs> it was just yeah. so enlightening. Um, but I I kind of got into and you said you you worked at NPR for a couple. For an internship, was it? It was just a, a temporary um, production gig, sort of freelance gig there. Yeah. Cool. Can you talk a little bit about about your documentary experience? Because you said that, and I didn't ask you on purpose before we were just talking before we started. You said you did a documentary about Mongolian rock music. Mm-hmm. Yes. Can you elaborate? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I had been working um, at the PBS NewsHour for several years, and that was really how I kind of learned how to really do stuff, really film and, and learned how to edit on Final Cut 7 back in the day. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, But I just, I got really uh, tired of that sort of constant turnaround and 
in the news and um, really wanted to just work on a long project. So I ended up getting a grant and I went to Mongolia for a year. I wanted to tell a story about Mongolia that was maybe a little bit surprising or something that Westerners hadn't seen before. And um, everything that I had seen, most people don't know much about Mongolia at all, but everything I had seen had been all focused on um, the rural countryside and herding and uh, goats and all sorts of stuff like that, which is really awesome and fun, but um, not the full picture. And so I decided to stay in the city and focus on what the urban youth were doing and how they were using music. And um, it was a blast. Uh, So I ended up making this feature film called Live from UB, and it's all about the way that urban Mongolians have used rock music to craft a new identity over the past 30 years as their political climate has been changing and their economy has been changing. That's really cool. You may have mentioned a little bit in that response, but was there somebody that told you that this was going on or why, why Mongolia and were you doing your own research or? Yeah. So I had, well, when I'd been living in China about um, like four or five years before that, I had traveled to Mongolia for a few weeks just as a tourist, and it was one of those places that just stuck in the back of my mind, and I, I just knew I had to go back there at some point. It was um, it was just very intriguing to me. And so uh, when I decided I wanted to go and take a year off and do a project and apply for this grant, I, um, I knew I wanted to go to Mongolia and just started seeing what I could find that would that would like be the seed of a story. And um, I'm, I realized that about at the time that I went, about 21 years previous, they had just gone through a democratic revolution. And so all of the people that had been of that new generation, they were all in their early 20s and um, prime time for, you know, rock bands and <laughs> that whole thing. And then going back to the political history and that sort of thing, weaving that in, is that, is that what you ended up doing? Yeah, yeah. So I, the film itself, it starts in the 70s um, when the first, the, the state actually created the first Mongolian rock band, but it was like heavily censored. <laughs> and so they would kind of tell them like what to write about. And they couldn't write about love songs because that wasn't, they weren't focused enough on improving the great society or uh, stuff that like that. Great to be a fly on the wall in like the recording <laughs> studio with your collaborator, right? Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, it was cool because they saw that all these um, young Mongolians were smuggling in records of like the Beatles and stuff and so they're like okay well this is here we might as well you know g- g- we should go with it yeah so they so they went ahead and imported these uh instruments from Japan and taught people how to <laughs> play an electric guitar and then that kind of led to more underground musicians and that helped fuel what became this democratic revolution in the early 90s and late 80s awesome so from there you you said you went to Stanford for a two-year program in documentary, and then you, you kind of said that you that was kind of a spark for you doing that project and knowing kind of the direction that you wanted to go. Grad school was a really great opportunity to just sit back and just make a lot of stuff <laughs> um, because I didn't... So you had skills going into grad school and yeah, kind of an yeah. idea of what you wanted to do. So I had pretty much finished making this feature documentary, but it hadn't been released yet when I started school. Um, and that was, you know, while I'd edited and made small 
pieces before and news pieces, a feature is so different. So I learned a lot along that journey um, and had a lot of had a lot of help, had a lot of advice. And uh, but so by the time I started grad school, I pretty much knew what what I wanted to get out of it in terms of like I wanted to just keep improving my production ability. I wanted to learn how to be a better storyteller overall. Um, and I also wanted to, you know, be able to teach because I think that's a really important part of having a artistic career. What, why do you say that? That's interesting. Um, I think it keeps you on your toes <laughs> and, uh, it's another way to engage with the form. That's often when, like when I'm working on my own projects, I get really, really sucked in. I get tunnel vision and I get kind of obsessive about whatever the project is and teaching and being in a classroom with people who are maybe, you know, new to the form or just trying to figure things out. It just opens up all these possibilities and it has there's like a freshness there. So um, just personally, I think it's 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 rewarding, but it's also uh, another way to engage with the art form and share it with other people. It's interesting because I've done a fair amount of teaching in the last eight years or so. Um, and and I find that when I first started, it was, it, it's one of those things where, you know, th- it's one thing to be a proficient in, say, Final Cut Pro or Premiere Pro or whatever it is. And then to demonstrate that and explain it and make it make sense to that person all at the same time does take some time to kind of develop that skill and it it is a skill to be able to communicate that like you said not only does it make it's it's a different experience but it it makes you a lot sharper at the the work that you do what um, experiences have you had with teaching and what groups have you interacted with or worked with the first film class that I taught was back in Pittsburgh so in between Mongolia and grad school that's when I was in Pittsburgh for two years and uh, they have a great organization there called Pittsburgh Filmmakers I know it well I was a member (laughs) for for a couple years so yeah I mean they're they're an awesome organization they are they teach all sorts of video filmmaking photography classes um, to both university students, you can get university credit for it from a couple of the local schools, or you can just be at large. And I actually took some classes there, and then I taught there as well. And and that was fun because it was a classroom with a lot of different ages, and so people brought different experiences into the classroom and different perspectives, but they all were coming with similar amounts of skill in terms of filmmaking. And so... Um, I, I really enjoyed having that like diversity of experience and thought coming into the into the classroom, but it was just a kind of introduction to filmmaking. This is <laughs> this is the process, and you know this is it's it's not just you go out with your camera and film a little bit and slap it together in Final Cut or Premiere or whatever and call it a day. There's you know there's all these steps along the way that you have to um, accomplish to build something that's you know really worthwhile well i don't know if i said this before but this this podcast is kind of geared towards people and and having worked at the at the um public access channel for so long so many youth coming through as well as people hey i'm I'm at discovery but i'm clearing photos and i want to get behind out from behind the desk and and do some production um do you have any advice for for people that want to kind of break in that that either are changing careers or that coming out of college? 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I think honestly, the advice that I was given, which is just just go out and do it and start trying stuff and, you know, tripping over yourself and failing. (laughs) That's the best. That's the best way to start, especially because it is becoming so accessible. I mean, the iPhone 7, I don't have one, but it looks pretty good. <laughs> Doesn't it shoot 4K? <laughs> oh, does it? Yeah, I haven't followed that, but that's Something crazy. Ridiculous. But you can get really good images, you know, with a, a pretty strict budget. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the only limitation really at this point is is yourself, is just, um, I don't know, not not wanting to take the risk or feeling like you need permission, but you really don't. Um, and the only way to learn this craft is by doing it, you know? So I, when I teach, I try to have a lot of just a lot of assignments, um, where people are going out and photographing, collecting audio, just anything where you're out, like using the equipment and engaging with the, the ideas. It's funny that you mentioned that because I, I teach a lot of adults, and I still teach pickup classes here and there, but before I was teaching a lot. Um, and and it's interesting because we, I know with Pittsburgh filmmaker, Pittsburgh filmmakers and where, where I work, we have the luxury of teaching people that, that choose to be there and that are elect, electing to be there, um, which makes a huge difference, and it's better for everybody. Um, but even with that, and there's a lot of people, very few people I've taught were mandated by their boss to take a class, so... I've, I've had that luxury. Um, but what I find is even with that, um, especially people that aren't so technically savvy or don't work on a Mac even, or don't work, um, on computers all day, uh, there is a sense of technophobia that, that happens that, that if I'm not kind of dinging them the, the entire time, they would just be happy just to have their hands off the computer and watch me do it. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. I know. And as an instructor, it's so hard to, like, not touch the mouse, right? Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, and I've noticed that um, also, like, there is a gender divide there, too. Um, so trying to, you know, like, make sure that young women are getting enough time like holding the equipment and feeling comfortable with the equipment and like really understanding, you know, how it works and all the different parts is, is pretty important. But, um, a lot of the software is pretty deep. I, I had my, some of my students this semester do like a three week after effects, uh, little module where they just had to do in um text animation that was it was like a 30 second text animation any animate any text you want but just opening up after effects it's just if you've never seen it before it's just so overwhelming and it has gotten way better too i mean it has gotten a lot more intuitive because it's like and i i reached actually that point with after effects where i kept trying to learn how to open it up and play around with it and i was like i can't close it again and focus on what i'm um, good at uh, you know and like i'm not a designer i'm not an illustrator so you know i, I feel like i'll leave that to the artists but but then there reached a point where the the software was more intuitive and i can actually just work my way around it i'm not going to ever be a, a graphic designer a motion graphics artist but but getting your hands on it is really important Right. Yeah. 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 And just like figuring out what questions you need to ask, like knowing what to look up on YouTube is <laughs> right. such an right. important stuff. Um, right. Yeah. Because like once you get to that point, then it's like, OK, you're you can you can figure it out. Everyone can figure it out on their own. But there's 
this point where you just don't even you don't even know what you don't know. Like you don't even know what you need to. I just renovated my bathroom and and everyone talks about YouTube, but it it only takes you so far and you don't learn the nuances and you don't learn, you don't get, get the, all the pitfalls that you're going to end up walking into. So there's, there's always going to be kind of failure to, and you learn from that failure and keep moving forward. Um, But, but speaking of your, your other projects, kind of getting away from the education um, after your Mongolia project, after you've gone to school, what have you been focused on since then? Yeah, so, well, the last um, really big project I did was my thesis film for my graduate program, which is called The Sandman, and it is about a doctor in Atlanta, Georgia, who performs lethal injections and helps the state with executions. Oh, wow. So it has to do with the death penalty, um, but from the point of view of medicine and looking at this conflict of you know Hippocratic Oath versus... Uh, helping the state out. And um, most, I mean, pretty much every medical organization I've found is against any physician participation or the use of medicine in executions. It just goes against the purpose of the institution. Um, And so this man has been willing to defy that in order to help the state with executions. And my question really was why? And um, and I just was curious to know more about him, and he ends up being a really kind of contradictory character. Um, did, so. did he use show his face and have yep. his... Okay, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah, and since we filmed, he's quit uh, participating in executions, but he's wanted to be more a vocal advocate for physician involvement. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not sure there... He's been kind of quiet. I don't know if he's going to be coming out and (laughs) doing any interviews or anything. But um, the film is hopefully going to premiere sometime in the spring. I'm just, it's like, I'm waiting to hear back from all the festivals. I'm waiting for my rejection letter from Sundance, like, the next couple days. (laughs) Come on, be positive. (laughs) Yeah, I'm holding out until I get the email. But um, but hopefully I'll get into something Nice. So yeah. th- that actually leads into what I kind of want to talk about next, which is, um, and I was just talking to Ian uh, this afternoon, beginning of this afternoon, talking about how the progression happens where, you know, you, you start working at home and then you're one man band or one woman band and you come to a space like this and you get to collaborate and you get to be open and seeing that people actually do have a speciality and they, they end up exploiting that and, and, and and uh, doing well where are you at with that are you doing all aspects or or is there one aspect that you really exploit that you find that you're the best at and that's what (laughs) propels your projects forward um I mean part of my problem is that I love everything about it and so it is it's really hard to pick especially for my own projects (laughs) um I but I have been trying to specialize in just editing as as much as I can I like the idea of crafting the story and taking footage and turning it into something else that maybe the director didn't see was there before. Um, and I'm also, I just, I like the, just the act of putting it all together in the timeline and kind of building it up and creating that, putting that puzzle together. It's really satisfying. So that's mostly what I'm trying to focus on, at least um, at the lookout. But I also really enjoy going out with a camera and producing a good interview and (laughs) um 
And that's what is so nice about documentary is that you can have a small team where you can kind of have a part in everything. And but at the same time, it is great to have specialization, um, especially for the more technical stuff. I mean, just having somebody who's paying attention to sound on your shoot is so valuable. (laughs) So um, it's great. I mean, my ideal in like five to 10 years from now, I would love to have a small production group with like five or six people where we all kind of understand the whole process and probably can wear lots of hats, but, um, and we can maybe rotate (laughs) roles and uh, everybody can contribute ideas and participate in films that um that kind of come out of a collective and so you just said that you are waiting to hear back from sundance you're talking about the film festival or funding the film festival yeah okay um speaking of those hats and that we talked about multiple hats just by being able to produce and edit but then after the the piece is complete there's a whole other series of hats that you have to put on, or I um, if, you can find, if you can find somebody else to put <laughs> yeah. on those hats. I just interviewed, and I'm going to release it at some point. Uh, I got uh, an interview with Anthony Green. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he he I guess is a filmmaker, but saw that no one was really learning about the business of film, at least not in this area, and really wanted to. To, to learn and he kind of dove into that and it's it's really interesting because he's he's kind of like sacrificing his love of producing films in some cases because he's spending a little bit more time on the actual distribution and everything else but but it is one of those things where it's not it's it's such like uh, an, an open environment when where where your piece might end up um, and there's so many different models for it but totally. what, what is your experience yeah. with that yeah I mean I've had sort of a love-hate relationship with festivals just because it is, it's so, the numbers are just against you. I mean, just yesterday I was reading that Sundance got like over almost 14,000 submissions. 4,000 of those were feature films. I can't even imagine the process that they have to go through to actually watch all those and screen everything at least once. Um, I heard a crazy statistic that, so it was around 1991, they had somewhere in the neighborhood of like 250 submissions for like 50 spots and those the number is now in the thousands um at one point i think it was up to like 25,000 or something like that um don't quote me but then (laughs) but then they have the same amount of spots the spots have not changed and they really don't have that much more staff so you're really kind of cutting out a huge number of of people just at you know like um I'm sure they have people that watch every film, but to raise to that next level of any kind of decision maker is, I bet, very difficult. Yeah, yeah. And then at a certain point, you know, there's there's a pretty clear distinction between something that, you know, deserves to be shown at a film festival like Sundance and something that maybe needs a little bit more work. Um and so that first that first round, fine. That might be a little bit easier. But then once you get to like these other like the next couple of rounds, it just kind of becomes a little bit arbitrary and um, depending on taste or depending on what they want to focus on that year in terms of a theme. And so it's a little bit hard as a filmmaker to really know exactly how to, how to stand out in that group. Um, But at the same time, when you go to festivals, it's, it's so much fun. It's great. It's, it's, 
you're you're with your people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's funny too. It seems like Sundance and a couple others, and this is why the 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 success of, of documentary festivals have, I think have come to the forefront, which is great because you can kind of cut out um, the narrative, and and there's a lot of specific buyers that go to those festivals looking for maybe TV content or whatever, or a, a talent that they want to bring in. Um, but it seems like every every actor that you know has their own production company that they're entering their own film, their like side project into Sundance <laughs> that you're competing with too. So you're talking about the, the little engine that could documentary. There's probably two or three spots for them or the narrative film or whatever it is, maybe 10 spots for those people. And they, I'm sure they do reserve and I'm sure they keep it uh, eclectic that way. But at the same time, that even smaller odds of your game. Right. You know, so it, it, the traditional models have changed, but there's other other avenues, obviously, mm-hmm. to get your content out there. Well. Yeah. Yeah, there's this new, there's this, um, I guess they're not super new, but uh, sort of a film collective, I guess collective is the right word, but basically they're a, um, a distribution company, distribution collective called New Day. And I think they're based out of San Francisco, but it's a lot of independent filmmakers. And um, so you put in a certain amount of work into the collective, kind of like a co-op. Interesting. Yeah. And then um, you, I'm not sure exactly how the the pricing structure works out, but basically you're able to keep a lot more of the sales, the money from sales, if you're selling to universities or um, selling video on demand, whatever it is. And but you have the benefit of working with this group and, and kind of helping each other out and getting feedback on how to how to reach an audience and distribute. And so I'm thinking about, you know, looking into that for, for maybe the Sandman when I'm ready to get it out into the world. Is and that a feature? It's no, it's a short. It's 20 okay. minutes or oh, 19. Cool. cool. Yeah. And then you were also just to finish up here. Um, you were also kind of chatting about um, maybe looking forward to your next project. Yeah. I don't know how much you want to talk about that, but... Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm happy to talk about it. I don't know. It's so nebulous. But, yeah, so right now I'm about seven months pregnant, and so that's been kind of... Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's a little bit it's a little bit daunting uh, coming out of grad school and wanting to really, you know, focus a lot of my career, and now I definitely have to focus on a baby as well. And so thinking about how can I... Um, make those two things work together <laughs> um, and how can I you know, be both a filmmaker and a mother and um, without you know really sacrificing too much of one or um, well, how can I hold both of those identities at the same time and I think this is probably going to be an evolving question for me as I'm sure if as, you figure out the answer everybody will yeah, want to know <laughs> yeah, then that's how I'll make my money I'll just sell the answer <laughs> um, a little card you open it up <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so part of that is just um, I I'm, I'm interested in, in engaging in a, a new project that allows me to explore those questions for myself, but also um, starts to profile examples of other artists, probably mostly women, but I'm interested in um, dads as well who are able to have successful careers and be good parents at the same time, and um, and all the creative ways that people go about doing that in. Um, without very great uh, access to childcare, or without you know a good affordable option available, so um, kind of weaving all those things together and um, 
if you know, if anyone wants to participate, <laughs> look me up. Or know and, the answer. Yeah. yeah, or know the answer. <laughs> it's, it's tangentially related, but uh, a friend of mine was a professor at a, at a university in Baltimore. She's now since moved to Seattle and is a professor out there. But she, she crafted and taught a class on happiness. And she just pulled all of this research. And some of the research that she found was really interesting is that um, there's actually, you can kind of put a price tag on happiness. And they were saying, in a, depending on where you live, happiness is right around $70,000. Yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> Have you heard that? So it's like anything below that, you're kind of stressed and can't really uh, make the, the type of, you know, make... Uh, pay for the things that you need in in a, in a livable situation. Anything beyond that, you're probably working too hard in your job to be able to to have a work life balance to start. So interesting, yeah. There you go. It's just okay. Like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll have to look her up. Um, yeah, so far my solution has been just move to Finland or something, mm -hmm. but <laughs> that's not necessarily the best option. Nice. So, is there any uh, anything else you'd say about? You know, people that they're in, what kind of skills or anything else um, to to finish us out that that you'd say to people who are just learning filmmaking mm -hmm. or just getting started. I certainly for me, I like love documentary because it allows me to follow things that I'm interested in, and I just get to be curious and then and ask questions and follow the thread. And when I after I interview one person, then I'll ask them who else should I talk to? And, you know, just following all the breadcrumbs and, um, and expanding your curiosity has been the, one of the most fulfilling parts of filmmaking for me. And the craft is sort of just a way to get at that. <laughs> but, um, I think it's important whether you're doing narrative or documentary to really just hang on to that curiosity about the world and keep your eyes open about the world around you. Awesome. Cool. Well, thanks for doing this. <laughs> yeah, sure. Thank you. Appreciate it. You can go to waitwhatpro.com to find past episodes of Media on the Radio. Please subscribe on iTunes to Media on the Radio, where each week it'll send the podcast directly to your phone. You don't have to do anything. It'll just send it right to you.